Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of uh, Acts, Acts chapter 14. Uh, Acts chapter 14 is where we will spend our time together uh, as we uh, continue our series uh, entitled Church on the Move. We have been uh, working our way through the book and uh, we have had an opportunity to see the Lord do some uh, incredible things in the life of the early church. And uh, we have watched as the Lord's faithful decree and promise and command to his disciples has uh, been fulfilled before our very eyes. We have had the opportunity to see uh, them be his witnesses in Jerusalem. If you remember, it says that they had filled the whole city with their teaching. And we had the opportunity to see them be his witnesses in Judea as the persecution began to uh, increase, as the believers began to move about sharing the word of God. Also in uh, Samaria, if you remember Philip and his time there. And uh, now we are in the portion of the book that deals with God's work to the remotest parts of the earth. And uh, last week we saw the, what we know as the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, uh, who God saved uh, when he was persecuting the church. Uh, he was known as Saul, and uh, the Lord uh, radically changed and transformed his life on the Damascus Road. And uh, we see now uh, he is now preaching the very message that uh, he sought to destroy. And, uh, and so we saw the first missionary journey being sent out from the church in Antioch, Antioch, Syria, and uh, we had the opportunity to see and hear the very first sermon uh, recorded that the Apostle Paul has preached. You know, it's a fascinating thing to be able to hear uh, the very first recorded sermon of someone who was so adamant against Christ and life was radically changed and then get a chance to hear him so boldly proclaim Christ. That's what God does. You see, he changes people and uh, he changed uh, people then. He's changing people now, and he'll change people uh, in the future. And uh, so today, as we continue our journey, we are uh, in chapter 14, and we're going to see the continuation of this missionary journey. Uh, you see, uh, the church ran into a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution as they were ministering in Antioch. This particular Antioch is in modern-day Turkey and uh, Asia Minor. And uh, so we're going to see as the gospel continues to move uh, through Asia Minor, uh, what the Lord has in store uh, for uh, those individuals uh, as he works through the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, the title of the message for today is called The Characteristics of an Effective Christian. Now, I want to just take a minute to explain why, you know, this particular title. You see, in the text before us, I believe we're going to have a great opportunity to see a model of what I believe God desires to do in and through our lives and the type of uh, believer he desires for us to be. You see, uh, the question we have to ask ourselves is ultimately, uh, are we effective for the kingdom or are we ineffective for the kingdom? You see, it's not just a foregone conclusion, foregone conclusion that you will be automatically uh, following the will of God. Uh, you see, when you think about your role, your walk with Jesus, I believe there's an intentional step by which we must be willing to walk in obedience, to see him work and move. And the reality is, is that once you become a Christian, once you are saved, uh, the enemy can no longer have you. 
Uh, he can no longer have you. He can no longer come to possess you. He can no longer uh, have you a part of his kingdom of darkness. And so from the moment in which you are saved, uh, you are now set free. But now in your freedom, the question is, is will you be willing to walk according to what the Lord has called you to do and who he has called you to be? You see, I believe that the enemy, once you have given your life to Christ, uh, his sole goal from that moment forward is to make you ineffective for the king, to make you ineffective as ambassadors. And so today we're going to see uh, just how he tries to do that in the life of the Apostle Paul and uh, Barnabas. We're going to see some of the things that he's going to throw at them. And I believe that these same things he throws at us. We're going to see in the text how they handle these things. And I believe that if we'll be willing to handle uh, ourselves and the circumstances that we find ourselves in, we will also be able to see, I believe, the same opportunities for change and transformation that they are going to be able to see. You see, when you think about this movement, we're going to see where he, we've talked about the gospel, what the gospel is. We've talked about the fact that they're going to be a mixture of responses but we have to be aware of the enemy's tactics that he is trying to pull to be able to keep us from being faithful to God, being faithful to the mission. So if you're taking notes, I just want to go ahead and give you the three main points. And then uh, we will look at the passage. We'll unpack it together. The first thing that we have to see if we're going to be effective uh, as Christians is that an effective Christian, uh, first and foremost, they are they're courageous. Effective Christians are courageous. Secondly, effective Christians are humble. Uh, they are humble. They understand their role. They understand who they serve. And then lastly, effective Christians are dedicated. You see, there are going to be many reasons for us not to uh, stick with this thing, not to continue to push forward and to preach the word of God, to share, to live it out. But I believe if uh, we want to have an effective walk with God, we have to be willing to be dedicated to the things that he has called us to be dedicated to. Now, just as a quick little backdrop, if you remember uh, in Antioch, uh, the, the people there stirred up some of the leading individuals and they created a, a persecution against Paul and against Barnabas. And, uh, and so making a decision, they moved to another location uh, called Iconium. And uh, that's about an 85-mile trek journey. And, uh, and so when we pick up our text, we're going to see that a, a shift in location has happened, but a shift in strategy has not. That these brothers are still focused on the mission that's before them. So before I get to the passage, the question that I want us to ask ourselves is ultimately, am I, am I effective? Am I being an effective vessel for the king and for his kingdom? And if you answer that question and say yes, then how can you continue to be? And if you say no, then how can you begin to be? I believe the text tells us today. Hope you've had an opportunity to find Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read our first section, verses 1 through 7. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace 
granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities, the cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derby, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. The first thing we're going to see is the courage, the courage of the apostles, the way in which they carry themselves. And I just happen to believe that in our day, courage is required. Uh, you know, many times we think that uh, courage might be uh, something that you are born with or an intrinsic characteristic. But I want to submit to you that the type of courage that I believe is biblical and that we are talking about is not because you have a type A personality or you tend to be somebody that's bold and gruff and rough. The type of courage that I believe the Bible is talking about and the type of courage that this passage is leading us to is one that God gives us. And so if you are taking notes, I want you to jot down 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And I want us to look at that together uh, because uh, the, the same apostle, the apostle Paul, uh, is writing to a young man named Timothy who he actually meets on this first journey. And uh, this is what he tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Everybody catch that? But of what? power and love and discipline. See, I believe that when we think about what is required in the days in which we live to minister and to serve God in these days, I believe that courage is a vital component to see the kingdom of God expanded. Courage is not the absence of, of fear many times. And many times when we read this, we're going to see that there's plenty of, of occasion to have fear or have the emotion of fear. But courage is what kicks in after you recognize that you might be afraid. And we have to see that ultimately this is something that God has given us, that he has not given us a spirit of timidity, but ultimately one that consists of power and love and discipline to be able to move forward whenever we have a lot of things pushing against us. And so we see this. We see this in the passage. Let's just break it down together. You know, it's fascinating to me that they preached. It's been said that wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was either a revival or a riot. All right. Wherever he went, when he would roll into a place, it was normally one of the two was getting ready to happen. And we see that as they were preaching, they were preaching in Antioch, the Antioch that's in Asia Minor, Turkey, that the people were stirred up. And so they said, you know what, let's just keep on moving. And they went right into another area and they began to do the exact same thing that caused them trouble to begin with. And the text tells us that they had this pattern whenever they would go to an area that had a synagogue in it, meaning it had more than 10 Jewish males in that city. They would go there first and it would begin to preach the word there. And the Bible says that after having such a difficult time in Antioch, that in Iconium, that a large number of people believed. Everybody see that? So many times, sometimes when we go through struggle and strain and God is seeking to move us, sometimes that strain could be because he has a great workforce and he has something for us to accomplish for him. But they get into the city and it says that Jews and Greeks, they both believed. But now not everybody believed. 
you see that in verse two. But the Jews who disbelieved, notice it says this, they stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Now, let me just say this. Ultimately, we are in a spiritual battle. And for the next several weeks, I'm probably going to say that every week because I don't know if we understand this just yet. You know, because a lot of times the things that are happening to us, the things that are being said to us or done to us are done by flesh and blood. They're done by people we know or maybe they're done by strangers. But, but ultimately, when we think about the struggles and the strains of our life, we are looking at a particular person and we're like, it is your fault. Now, I'm not saying that they are not responsible because the enemy has to have a vessel to be able to do what he does many times. But we have to remember that the battle that we are in, what we are fighting and facing is a spiritual battle. I don't know if y'all believe me. So I got a passage for you. How about that? Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 12. And this is what it says now, because I need us to understand something. This same apostle Paul that we're talking about dealing with here would, would say later on, notice this. Finally, what does it say? Be strong in the Lord. Everybody catch that? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. I don't know if y'all weren't ready for that question. So I'm going to back up ask one more time because this is very important. In the strength of whose might? His might. OK, I need y'all to help me this morning because the way in which we operate is very important. The, the strength and the power, the control of our lives has to come from a particular place. As a matter of fact, it comes from a particular person. And it is in his might that we live this life. It's not in ours. It's not in our ability. It's in his ability. Now, we don't sit by idle just saying, okay, God, zap me with the juice so I can do what you tell me to do. That's not how this works. It's a vibrant, growing relationship. Okay, and so ultimately he's going to give us some keys about how we can stand firm and how we can live and stand strong in his might. You ready? Put on the full armor of God, meaning when you're in a battle, you better dress for it. Whenever you are in a war, you better dress for it. You better make sure that you are prepared each and every day for what you will be facing. And a lot of us, when we get up every morning, we walking around naked. We ain't got an armor on. So it says, put on the full armor of God. Reason why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes, plans of the devil. Now, I know it's 2021 and we all sophisticated up in here and we say he's still preaching about the devil. Yes. Just as real today as he ever has been. Many of us playing games and don't recognize that he's the one that's behind the scenes with all the schemes going on. Anyways, notice this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Everybody see this? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But notice this, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Everybody see that? So recognize that's the tone of the warfare, like the tone. It's, it's a spiritual battle. Now, it is waged and it is it knows most of the time the spiritual battle shows up physically what we see in, in marriage and in friendships and in family and on the job. And whenever we, we try to connect as a church or when we try to push the, the gospel forward. So it shows up physically. But the source of it is spiritual. That is where we win or lose. But can I just tell you something real quick? Come on, come on here. Guess what? We already won. But that's the top. I'm, I'm going to get there here in a minute. So we see this wickedness where? In the heavenly places. So whenever 
the Apostle Paul in our, in our text, when he is preaching and he's sharing, you are seeing spiritual victory in, 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 in the text. When you see these Jews and these Greeks, they come to Christ, they believe. That is a spiritual thing that is happening by faith. God is drawing and he's saving and he's changing and he's transforming. And whenever they are disbelieving, the, the, the God of lowercase g of this word is blinding the minds of the, the unbelieving. So they're not able to understand the gospel, come to the truth and know it. Now, understand when people are not following or not believing, the enemy can use them as a tool. Did you notice this? Unbelievers catch it now. Verse two. But the Jews who disbelieved, what did they do? They stirred up. What did they stir up? Do you see it? The what? Minds. Y'all catch that? That's the first step. They stirred up the minds. So notice this. It wasn't like they stirred up and they got the posse together and they said, you got your rock, you get your rock, I get my rock, we get our rock, on three we throw our rocks. Initially, it starts here, right here in the mind. Now, can I tell you, I love this construction, what, what is happening right here, because the first thing we're going to see is the way in which the enemy tries to make us ineffective is, is right here in front of us. Number one, he tries to leverage individuals who have not believed to use them to go against those of us who have believed. That's the first step. Now, I know that sometimes that can be a very docile, a very docile movement where they just kind of like <clears throat> disagree, but they're not like overtly hostile. You know, you got people in your life that, you know, they don't love the Lord Jesus, but like they don't get mad at you because you do. Right. And so you can have people like that. They're like, OK, that's good for you. OK, go ahead. Go on Sunday. Do what you do. I'm just going to keep you what I do. But then you also have people who not only do they not believe, but they are hostile. As a matter of fact, they try to keep you from helping other people come to know what you know. And so this is what we are dealing with here. It says that they disbelieved, but they didn't just say, that's good for y'all. Y'all do what you do. We're just going to do what we do. They went a step further and it says they stirred up the minds of the who? The Gentiles. Now, how did they do this? Y'all see this word right here, this word embittered? This is a beautiful word here. What it, what it is is not beautiful, but I'm glad he used it because it helps us to understand what was going on. This word, this word that's used right here for embittered means to poison over time. Means to, just to slowly begin to poison the people's thinking about Paul and about Barnabas and about the church and about Jesus. And so what happened is, is in this city where they stayed, for a long time, the text tells in verse three, the people who were hostile against them began to poison the mind of the people. They began to over time to to gossip, to assassinate their character, to challenge their motives. And over time, this poison be, began to show up. They, they, they poisoned the people's minds by sharing these things that are not true. Now, let me just tell you. You and I, we should expect there to be pushback whenever we try to tell people about the Lord. You should expect it. You should expect there to be individuals who want to embitter other people or to push back against what, what is going on. But I want you to catch it now. Verse three tells us y'all ready for it? Verse three says they spent a long time there. And how did they do this thing? They were speaking how boldly catch it now with reliance upon who the Lord. I said that's the key secret sauce. That's what you came for. Reply, they, they were relying on the Lord. Notice this, who was testifying to the word of his grace, meaning God, as they were faithful to preach it, God was also affirming what they were preaching. How was he affirming what they were preaching? He was affirming what they were preaching by giving the people something that they could see to help them believe what they could not see. Now, th this happens regularly. 
And, and, and in our next movement, I'm really going to talk about this. But many times when we look at this and we see that there were signs and wonders that were done by their hands, meaning God is helping them to authenticate the message. These people who, who weren't, they didn't know Jesus. They get, didn't get to walk with Jesus. They didn't get to see him heal all those people to feed the 5,000. They didn't know these things, what God was doing here as he was giving them something they could see, a change, a transformation to help them believe what these brothers were preaching, that they could not see redemption and salvation and grace and goodness. And many times we see that God is working and he's working in a, in a powerful way. Now, now catch it now. It says, verse four, but the people of the city, they were divided. They were divided. Now, whenever you find unbelief, gossip, rumors, you're going to find division. It, they, listen, it goes together like peanut butter and jelly. That's what it is. It, it just it, whenever you find those types of things, when you t- this type of poison, you, you're going to find division. And ultimately, though, not for one second, did they yield. They understood the wisdom and God called them to move. Now, practically, let me just say this practically for us today. When we go out and we share on your job or in your family, what, what's one step? that we should be taking for one another uh, as we are trying to share the gospel, the good news in a world that's hostile to Christ. Can I just give y'all just one quick example Uh, from Ephesians chapter six on down in the chapter verses uh, 18 through 20. I want you to see what it says. Now, I love this. Y'all ready for this? Ephesians 6, 18. So whenever we have people pushing against us, pushing against us the same way they were pushing against the apostle Paul here, what, what, what should we be looking for or asking? If, here we go. Let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. With all prayer. Everybody see that? And petition. Pray how often? At all times. Notice this how. In the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for how many of the saints? All the saints. So this, let's look, break this down practically. I'm trying to get an application here for a minute. We, we, we have to live with courage. So in order to live with courage, the first thing we have to recognize is that God has given us this great gift called prayer. Can I just say it another way? Communication with him. And we have to take that so seriously that we are communicating with him how often? At all times. Now, is that, does that, you know, sometimes in our lives, prayer is so formal. We have a time when we start and time when we stop, right? Most time we start by saying, Lord, and most time, what, what do we hear when we stop? Amen, right? That's what we're thinking, okay? But what I believe is there's, there's a sense in which prayer is like breathing for us. It's, it's a time in which we are communicating, seeing what is happening in real time, connecting with God and asking him to work and move, petitioning him in, in view of this. Notice this. And the way in which we do it, we pray in real time by being alert. Everybody catch that? Alert with all perseverance. Everybody see that? So meaning whenever you feel attacked, when you feel somebody else is attacking you or people you know are under attack, what is going on in the life of the church, whenever we feel on the outside things are going to be attacked, when you feel that fear coming up inside of you, whether it be about health or about, about well-being or finances or family or whatnot, immediately that's when we connect and we talk to the one who has all authority. Notice, notice this. Who are we praying for, though? Did y'all say who are we praying for? All the saints. Can I just be honest? Most of the time we know how to pray for us. Lord, help me. Help me. <laughs> right. 
But if we were to just take a percentage of how much your prayers were, Lord, help them. What do you think your percentage would be? Help them through this. Help them, help them, help them, help them, help her, help him. We need to pray for the saints. But guess what? That's not all a strategy. Let's keep rolling. And pray. Notice this. This is the Apostle Paul here. What did he say? And pray what? On my behalf. He was asking you, please pray for me. Pray on my behalf. Now catch the specific prayer that he is asking for. Pray on my behalf. Y'all ready for it? That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with what? Boldness, the mystery of the gospel. See, see understand, we got to have to have courage, but we also got to pray for each other. How often are we praying for each other like it's going to be Monday? We all know we're getting ready to go back into our respective schools, or our respective places of work, or be around family or whatever. Are we praying God give them utterance of boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel? Catch it now. For which I'm an ambassador in chains. It's going to cost us. We're going to get there here in a minute. This ain't your American gospel that's coming today. That in proclaiming it, I may speak how? Boldly as I ought to speak. Can I just say to you, we have to have courage to be effective for the king. And have courage, we have to take prayer seriously and ask him to infuse us. I believe it's a, God, it's a gift that God gives us. It's a byproduct of being in relationship, right relationship, and we want that. We have to see him work and move, but ultimately we have to be willing to pray not only for ourselves, but for all the saints. The second thing I want us to see in the text is that we have to be humble. We have to be humble. Now, the brothers had to make a wise decision because verses 8 through 18 highlight this. They, they begin to feel this pressure and they make another trip, about 30 mile trip. And let's just see what happens in verse eight. At, at, at Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. Lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in a Laconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good 
and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. What are you talking about? The second thing I want us to see is not only do we have to have courage, and when I say courage, we have to recognize that there are going to be individuals that try to push against us, and the enemy will, would love to keep us from fulfilling God's call because of individuals pushing against us. But the next thing we have to understand is we have to be humble because the same enemy who wants to destroy us by having people push against us will also have a tactic in which he tries to have people to flatter us and put us in a position that is not good either. So when we think about this, we have to recognize it's not only that we have to be on guard against those who are hostile to us. We also have to be on guard about how individuals try to put us on a pedestal and make us something that we are not. And we see that the first tactic didn't work. So the enemy tries the second tactic. He tries to bring about all this attention. Now, can you imagine you got all this power happening, lives being changed, folks being healed and now it can be an opportunity for pride to set in. See, we have to watch out for pride. Let me just give you these reasons that I believe from the text we can see how we can have a humble disposition before the Lord. The first way, I believe, number one, that we can have that is we have to be aware of our surroundings. And whenever we understand that our life and our ministry is for the advancement of God's glory and for the help of other people, not about us and our notoriety, then it will put us in a very secure place. So the first step, first thing, we need to recognize our surroundings. Now, let me just, where do I get that from? Number one, we get that from verse eight. If you uh, will remember it, the text told us that uh, Paul, while he was there, there was a man who was sitting who had no strength in his feet. He was lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked. Now, the verse tells us in verse nine, it says that this man was listening to Paul. Now, when you read this, it sounds as if Paul kind of rolled in. He started having a conversation. This guy was over there eavesdropping, being nosy in his business. And uh, and then Paul was like, oh, you being nosy in my business. Hey, let's get you healed today. But that's not the construction here. How do you know that preacher? Thank you for asking. It's because the word that's used for listening is in a tense to me. That means that he continually listened. He continually listened. So this is not this is not just a one time thing that that he was listening to Paul, meaning he was continually listening and hearing what what the apostle Paul was teaching and sharing and preaching. And so what I love is that the apostle Paul was aware of the hopelessness and he understood that that everyone knew. And this man had a habit of listening. And so the text tells us that Paul fixed his gaze on him. Verse nine. And notice this and seeing that he had faith to be made well. That's an important construction, meaning that it wasn't it wasn't the man's faith that saved him. It wasn't the man's faith that changed him or healed him. What he's saying is, is that the word that he had been listening to had produced it. Can I ask you all a quick question? How does faith come? Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by hearing of what? The word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. So meaning this wasn't something that the man had. It was something that God was already at work, rotting in his heart, rotting in his mind. And can I tell you what I find to be the, such a tragedy in our world? While we don't see a whole lot of people trusting and believing because they're not hearing. I don't think I wasn't ready for that one. What I'm saying to you is that there is a world around us. They have not heard what we are hearing right now. 
that there are people around us that have not heard the good news, the old, old story. They have not heard the good news. They have not heard about the power and the presence and the goodness and the grace of God. They have not heard it. And so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So what I'm saying to you is that when we think about God's movement to keep us humble, first and foremost, we have to recognize that we are here as his servants. Ultimately, he is to get the glory and we see him do a work through us to be able to help people. That's the first step. First, getting us in a great position. Then in that position, the message that they hear, if somebody were to follow you around all day long, what would they hear you talking about? What would they what would they hear you saying? What would they hear you speaking of? You see, the text says that the man was continually listening to Paul. And can I just tell you, that's a good thing, because you know who Paul was continually talking about? The Lord Jesus. And that has to be the content of our life. Now, I know. Let me just say this, because I ain't always been saved. And maybe you might feel like, man, I'm going to be weird. People going to think I'm weird if I talk about Jesus all the time. Oh, there go that dude always talking about the Jesus. Here you come. <laughs> Can I just tell you, before I was saved, I thought that. I thought that. I thought, man, these folks crazy. That's all they talk about Jesus. You ain't got nothing else? You know the answer to that? No, we don't. But anyway, that's. So we, we see this movement. So, so this great move and act of God happens after Paul tells him to stand up. He stands up. He begins. He, he leaped up. That's I love that. Think about this. Now, he had never walked, not a day in his life. And immediately he jumps up. And listen, everybody went crazy. You hear what I'm telling you? Can you imagine being there for a minute? Can you imagine this? You knew from his mother's womb, right? So just imagine you grew up with old buddy. And now you've seen him jumping and walking. You're going to be excited. Man, what happened to you? Right? So the people were excited, and I believe it's a genuine response. They, they, they were excited. That's what the text tells in verse 9. He leapt up. Now, the people were excited. Catch what happens in verse 11, though. Something went terribly wrong. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done. Everybody see that? They raised their voice, saying in a Lyconian language. What did they say? The gods have become like men and have come down to us. Uh-oh. Trouble. See, God showed out. He gave them something they could see to help them believe what they couldn't see. Like that, that's God's pattern all over the place. Like he's going he's to give us, he, still to this day, he gives us things that we can see to help us believe what we can't see. Can I just give an example real quick? Y'all don't seem to disagree, but let me just do a little history here for a minute. Anybody ever seen a rainbow? Anybody ever seen a rainbow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody like, yeah, we've seen I've seen two. Anybody seen a double rainbow? Hallelujah, right? Is that twice the promise? Yeah. So here's my question. Were you there during the flood, whenever the flood subsided? Were you there? Was I there? Uh-uh. So what God does is he has given us this bow, this promise. I don't care what, you know, rainbow coalition folk want to take that. Listen, God has already determined what that rainbow means. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? It's already in his word. I, I, don't, I don't want to be crass, mean, rude, ugly, but I just want to tell you the truth. God has already determined what it means, okay? So he has given us something that we can see in our time, real time, to remind us of what we could not see, what we did not see, what we, do, we did not experience. Can I give you a couple more? Y'all don't seem to disagree, but we got plenty of time this morning. Anybody here love snakes? We got a hand over here say hallelujah. Make sure I get your number. We need to get together. You, you see a snake come rolling at you, right? It's a great reminder. It's a great reminder. Were, were you there in the garden when the enemy 
in the form of snake when he was acting a fool and got Adam and Eve to follow his way? Were you there? I wasn't there. Sure wasn't. But guess what? Whenever we see that snake, guess what it reminds us of? That exact moment. That same fear. We just, I can't fool you. Can't trust you. Can't trust you. I know how you act. Right? <laughs> we can't do it. So, so, the, so, so we have right now in real time these key things that are helping us, grounding us. He allows us to see things, to experience things, to know things, to help us hold to the things that we did not see. Now, I, I've dealt with past things. I've, I've dealt with past things, right? Has God done any of that to, to, to help us to, to grapple with future things? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he has. Whenever you have, uh, you're saved and the spirit of God comes to live inside of you. The Bible says in Ephesians, that's a down payment. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the initial gift that he gives. It's the engagement, if you will. And it's just so you can trust and believe that he gave you himself in the initial piece, that everything to come after that, the, the streets of gold and, and, and having a new body and all those other things are real. Just like that, he gives us things that we see, know, and experience in real time now to help us hold to the things that we did not see in the past and we don't see just yet. So understand in doing this, in doing this, in giving them something they could see to help them believe what they couldn't see, they misunderstood it. See, this is what I know. Our world around us is not sitting neutral because of the fall. Whenever we tell people, when we share people, when God makes a movement, they still need the truth of the word. Did you catch it? What happened? Well, once the man, he jumped up. Let's just talk about it. They said the God's had become men. They like men. They, they came down. Verse 12, they looked at our boy Barnabas. Joseph's mama gave him that name. We know him as Barnabas. They said, you Zeus. You got to be Zeus, right? You're the leader of all the gods. And then Paul, Paul was the preacher when the one they were talking. He said, you Hermes. You, you, you the messenger, right? But what is in the backdrop of these individuals' lives to make them think this, right? Because I know we read it. We're like, man, what's wrong with these people? What's, what's wrong with they just pull out the mythology, right? Well, can I just tell you, y'all don't seem too disagreeable. In their history, they believed that Zeus and Hermes had actually come down to visit. And let me tell you what the Greek, the mythology, the, the, the story behind this. Y'all ready for it? They believed that Zeus and Hermes came down disguised. And they went around and they were asking people for food and nobody would get it was not, nobody would be nice to them. And there was an elderly couple, an elderly couple that said, hey, come on in our house. We're going to feed you. We're going to take care of you. And so the legend said what they were believing said that because of the way everybody had treated them, they flooded the area and killed everybody except for these two people. And they made these two people a priest and a priestess, his husband and wife, a priest and a priestess. And they turned their house into the temple. And then once they died, they became two big trees out in front of the temple. That's terrible. But that's what they believed. <laughs> so, so understand what's happening now is the people, they have a worldview. Let me just be first one to tell you that the people we are going to be dealing with have a worldview. And the majority of the time, it's a superstitious worldview. It's a mythology-based worldview. And you might be asking me, preacher, where does it come from? Oh, I'm so glad y'all so asked me this morning because this is what we have to be willing to understand is that nobody is sitting neutral.
And so what happens is, is you notice the boys, they go in straight into, once they realize what's going on, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible says they tear their robes, which is an outward expression of their internal disgust for what's getting ready to go on. They're like, don't, don't you do that. They said very clearly, that my boy, he preached a quick sermon. He didn't have time to get all the notes together. He just preached it real quick. He said, we are men just like you. We are men just like you. Don't, don't believe this mythology mess. Don't believe, don't, don't allow that because what you believe will always affect how you live. Don't, don't, don't believe it. Don't make this decision. He says, he tells them, he tells them in uh, verse 15, he says, you got to turn from these vain things. You got to turn from these idols, turn from this way of thinking to, to a living God, the one who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in it. Then he goes on to tell them about God's grace. This might shock you, but it should know. Verse 16, in generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. Meaning he was patient with them. Notice this. But he did not leave himself without witness. He did good and he gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons to satisfy your heart with good things and gladness. So he drops a quick little sermon on them real fast. Now, Can I just say to you as quick as I know how? That. In our world, whenever God does good things, when he works and moves in our lives, we have to make sure we point to him. If you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. This is a good place to go and put that in. Matthew 5, 16. Says this. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds, your good works. Everybody see that? That they may see your good works. But catch what's the, got to be the next piece and glorify your father who is in heaven. Everybody catch it. So for us, it's not that we do the good works to get the attention. We do the good works. So ultimately, there's a conjunction there and glorify our father who is in heaven. Now, we have to remember this, that to be effective as Christians, we have to be humble. Humble is whenever we understand our role, that it's all about God and we want to see him work in people's lives. And we want to be a conduit, a vessel to see that happen. We have to have spiritual eyes to be able to do that, seeing how God sees. But then also we have to be willing to recognize that there are going to be people who have a worldview or a different way of seeing things. And we have to be willing to tell them the truth. That's the next piece. Give God the credit and we have to be willing to tell the world the truth. Now, I don't know about you. But uh, I, I don't know what's happening in our world, but, you know, I'm hearing phrases like, you know, tell your truth. Your truth. How about the truth? And, and for whatever reason, I, I feel like we have we have gotten to the point where we, we, we don't want to deal with with concrete, absolute, objective truth. Right. And we want to make everything subjective to a certain extent. And everybody is picking and choosing when they want that. Let me just tell you, when you go to your accountant, do you want your accountant to feel like, let me just tell you my truth? No, no. I want the truth. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? How about when you go, when you go to your doctor? Do you want your doctor to be subjective with you? Well, you know, let me just tell you my truth. about it. No, no. I want the truth. And can I tell you, if it's that serious in, in matters of finance and in matters of health, how about in matters of eternity? Matters of eternity. So can I just tell you what he does? He drops a quick sermon on them and we have to be willing to tell the truth because hear me, people still today live under superstition. Very superstition. If you're taking notes, I just want to read something to you. Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 25. This is a more expanded sermon of the one that he just gave here. Let's look at it together briefly. Romans 1:18 says this. We got to tell people the truth for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against how much ungodliness? 
All of it. Every bit of it. We got to be willing to tell our world this. Listen, God is going to judge all ungodliness. Every bit of it. He's going to judge all unrighteousness of men. Now, catch this. Here's the issue, though. Notice this. Who do what with the truth? They do what with it? Suppress it. Everybody see that? To suppress it means they push it down. They know it's there, but they just push it to the side. They know God has already done it, already shared it, already showed it, already told it. But they push it down and they suppress the truth. How? In unrighteousness. Catch it now. Because that which is known about God is what? Evident. Where? Within them. Everybody see this. See, when the Apostle Paul, when he starts preaching here in Acts, he starts from general revelation. He says, man, look at the heavens. Look at the earth. Listen, they are crying out that God is in existence. People tell me, how can you prove the existence of God? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The burden of proof is on you, not me. The burden of proof is on you, not me, to try to make. You got to prove to me that God doesn't exist. I don't have to prove to you that God exists. Notice this. Because that which is known about God is evident. Notice, not just outside, not just in the heavens, not just in all the things he's created, but notice this, evident where? Within them. Why is it that way? For God made it evident to them. God made it evident to them. Let's keep moving. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen. That's that's the first piece. Clearly seen. You can look at everything outside and say, wow, we didn't do this. This was here before we got here. Notice this. And divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. For even though. They knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. But here we go. Y'all ready for it? But they became futile in their what? Speculations. Greek mythology, the pantheon, all all this is all this speculation. The earth being created on the back of a a turtle and on the back of an elephant. Speculation. And their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, what happened? They became foolish. Became foolish. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of what? Corruptible man. Have you ever noticed that these Greek gods act like human beings? They got more drama than a soap opera going on in the Greek. Folks sleeping with other gods, sleeping with other gods, and this baby here made out of this, and this one a half one of that, and they ain't getting along. They got more drama going on than a soap opera. Have you noticed this? Do you know why? Because they were made in the image and the thought of man. That's where, that's why, that's where it come from. They exchanged, they exchanged the incorruptible God, the image, the form, the corruptible man. Notice this, and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored, would, would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
Amen. You see, what happened here, God gave them something they could see and experience and understand, something they couldn't see, that whenever they exchanged, when they made this exchange, the spiritual condition of their soul, it was, it, it was compromised. And so it says that he, he, he allowed all these things inside their bodies, all these infirmities, all these issues. He was giving them things that they could see to be able to see the effect of what they could not see, that the spiritual connection with God was broken. And can I just tell you, the world that we are living in right now, if you want to know, why does the world seem broken? Can I, y'all ready for it? Y'all ready? Because it is. It is broken. The, the connection between the creator who made it is broken. And it doesn't mean that humanity is sitting neutral. No, we are speculating all over the place. It is crazy. We might go, we can go to India. We can go to Asia. We can go to Africa. They might have different names, but the way in which they are portrayed, the things in which they do are all the same. You know why? Because it comes from the same source, the enemy. They have believed the lie and not the truth. You see, in this sermon, he, he is reminding us that we have to be willing to tell the truth to the world around us. I don't know that we understand just how good the word is. Like we're not having a question. Man, you know, I wonder how, how, how we got here. It's right here. We don't have to question. Man, you know what? I wonder how we got all these languages. Where, where, where all these languages come from? Y'all know where, we, where all the languages came from? Where did the languages come from? Babel. How you know that? Because it's right here. <laughs> It's right here. I, I, could keep, I could keep going on and on and on and on. And I challenge you, anybody who is listening to me, and they're like, I don't know about that. They just want other beliefs. Look, look up. Challenge your own belief system to see how they answer all these challenging questions. See if the truth is in there. Can I, can I surprise you? It's not going to be in there. It's not in there. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And we have to see this, that, that we, we humbly share this. We, we have to be willing to tell the truth, though. When we think humility many times, we think we just let everybody do what they want to do. And you notice the text says, the text tells us in verse 16, look, look with me now. In generations gone by, what does it say? He did what? Permitted all the nations to go their own way. But guess what? He did not leave himself without witness. He didn't. He didn't. He still did good. He still helped. He still, he still encouraged, brought food, gladness. But can I tell you what, what Paul is saying here, though, when he says in generations gone by, what he's letting you know is, is that's not now. There is a time of reckoning that comes, that is coming, and we have to be willing to tell the truth. Let me just say this. If we're not careful. The enemy will love to, he loves to use flattery and attention to destroy us. But we have to be careful to be on guard against pride. Let me just read it to you. James chapter 4, verse 6, and then we'll go to our last point and close up. James 4, 6 says this, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we seek to be effective, let us be humble, humble before God, recognizing that he is the one that gets all the attention and he is seeking to change and transform human beings. And he desires to use us to be able to do it. 
And if we take that posture, let us remember we need to have spiritual eyes to see how God sees. We need to give God the credit. We need to tell people the truth and we need to recognize the dangers of pride. Humility is not telling people lies. Humility is not. We still have to be willing. Can I tell you, whenever the enemy recognizes he's not getting any ground by pressing hard against you, just trying to destroy your arguments. Did you notice they were bold in the Lord? All the speculations would come up. Our boys were there for a long time refuting every single one of them. When he realized he couldn't win that way, then he went to try to flatter them. Oh, the gods, the gods, they here, they here, right? Can you imagine an ego? If you weren't careful, man, our boys could have been walking around. Pub. Yes, I'm glad you recognize the skills. I appreciate that, right? It had been great trouble. When he realized he can't get you there, let me tell you, show you the next, the next step that he takes. He's going to move to actual physical harm, physical harm, which is under the last heading, last point, that for effective Christians, we have to be dedicated. You ready for it? Let's look at it together. In verse 19, it says this, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and ha- notice this. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia. And they had spoken the word in Perga and they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. The last thing I want us to see is that we have to have dedication. We have to have dedication. Now, when I say dedication, what I mean is, is that a steadfastness, a stick to itness that is not controlled by the circumstances internally or externally. And And we see from the text that the first deal is if we are going to have dedication, let me just tell you the truth for just a minute here, that uh, sometimes old problems can come back up. Old problems can come back up. Did you notice in the text, where am I getting this from? Well, the text tells in verse 19, it says the Jews from where? Antioch and where else? Iconium. Did y'all see that? These Jews, now now here's the deal. We don't know if the ones from Antioch about 90 plus miles away if they intentionally came down to be able to cause a ruckus or if they just rolled through the 
through town. They were doing business. They were going to buy a few things. They heard there was a sale going on. And they said, what? You remember them? We remember you? And y'all still doing what you were doing there? We don't know if it was an intentional move or if they were just there. I know what I believe. I know how I feel. I think these buses went down. On, I think the enemy put, brought them there on purpose. That's just where I, that's just the position I'm taking. But I just want to tell you a couple things. If we're going to have dedication, first remember that old things, old issues, old, old emergencies, old attacks can come up. So do not be surprised. Do not be surprised whenever old things try to come. Can I just tell you there's something else I want you to see? We see that they come, this crowd, notice what it says here. It just, Dr. Luke, as a matter of fact, he says, they won over the crowds. What did they do to our boy Paul? Stoned him. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, I'm just telling you, many times when the enemy, when these other attacks, other ways that he is trying to attack you, do not succeed. Don't, don't be surprised if it moves physical. Don't be surprised if it moves to be something that is detrimental. Here we know it, it, it was stoning. Now, that's the first piece. Recognize that the attacks can come and they could be physical and they could be old things can come up. But can I just encourage you just for a minute, though? That God will provide, I believe, real support, though. This is such a minor thing, but I think it's so important. You see verse 20. But while the disciples, what did they do? Stood around him. This is good. Now, now, I don't know. We don't know. Why didn't they hit Barnabas in the head? Did Barnabas take out running? Did he run faster than Paul? What happened? We don't know. Okay. Why didn't they get the other brothers? They got Paul. Why didn't they get the other ones? But here's what I love, though. Did you notice? What does it say? It says that those disciples, what were they doing? They were standing around him. This is good. This is good. This is good, church. Hear me for a minute. The reason why this is so good is because if you're not careful, listen, people are fickle. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? I probably ain't going to win a whole lot of friends when I'm getting ready to say it these next few minutes, but I got to say it. People are fickle. Let me say it another way. People can be two-faced. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Let's just go and bring it down into the contemporary language. You can be two-faced if you're not careful. The same people, now catch this, they warn over the crowds. The same people who were trying to make them gods and sacrifice to them are now doing what? Throwing rocks at our guy. The same people are fickle. And if you are not careful, they can catch you off guard. This should not surprise us, though. Whenever Jesus was in Jerusalem, before his crucifixion, you remember when he came in the triumphal entry, what were the people saying to him? Hosanna! They would say, you the man, Jesus. You the man. By the end of that week, what were they saying? Crucify him. Same ones. And so it should not surprise us in the church. People can be fickle. The same ones that are clapping and praising you be the very ones ready to bust you in the head with a rock. We, we, we have to recognize this, that people can be fickle. But can I tell you what, what, what will help us is if we don't we don't fall into praising people and condemning people, because normally what happens is we praise and excite about somebody and somebody and a leader and what they do until they do something we don't like. And then now it's on. I knew I couldn't fool with you. Well, wait a minute. Well, what about all this other stuff? Like, for example, what about when the man was healed? What about when he told them the truth? Y'all wasn't all y'all was riding with him then. But then when these dudes from Antioch and Iconium came down, they poisoned your mind, too. And now all of a sudden, none of that's true about it. So what I'm saying to you is what we need to do, we had a keen sense, a keen sense about us of discernment where we trust and we appreciate people. We appreciate leaders, but we are not worshiping them. We ain't praising them. We stay lockstep and steady, trusting God to guide and direct how we think. I wasn't going to get much. I knew. But can I tell you, the encouraging side is that I believe 
that whenever you're really serving God, he will provide real support. Did you see what it said? What it said in verse 20, did you see it? But while the disciples stood around him, can I tell you, they were in a dangerous position. You standing around a man who just got beaten in the head with the rock, got hit with the rocks. You with him. So, so, so I love this because there's real support, even though it's going to cost him. Most historians believe that uh, some of those who were standing around him was uh, Timothy. This area is where Timothy is from, where his mama, you know, his mama and his grandmama, Lois and Eunice, that's where they are from. So most historians believe that this right here is how they got connected, where they got connected at Timothy. We're going to hear about him here in a little bit, but this is where they met, where they got connected. But all I'm saying to you is that many times when we think about what God is doing, we think about the hardships and the things that go on in our lives. Uh, sometimes we, we have people that are fickle. But I believe that God, when he is working with you, there will be a support system that will be willing to stand around you and help you. Now, I don't know what they were saying. I don't know if Dr. Luke was giving them chest compressions. I don't know what all was going on. We don't know. But what we do know is that they were around him. Now, let me just say this quickly. Sometimes a setback can actually be a setup by the Lord. Sometimes I believe that God will allow, he will allow setbacks, he will allow difficult things to actually set us up to be able to do something else for his, for him, for his sake and for his kingdom. Sometimes a setback can be a setup by God to be able to do great things for him. Where am I getting that from? Well, let's just look at it. In verse 20, it says that the disciples, they stood around him. Notice this now, the next day, our boy Paul was a beast in the paint. You hear me? He did not allow this to keep him from staying faithful to the mission. He gets up the next day, about a 40-mile journey, rolls to Derby. Notice this, verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city, what happened? What happened? Somebody tell me. They had made many disciples. Everybody see that? My man gets beat down. Beat down. Looked like a setback. And we're going to talk more about, I believe, the effects of what happens when you get stoned and when he gets stoned. And I believe how that scarred him. He's going to talk about that in Timothy. He's going to talk about that when he says, listen, I have on my body. And my body shows my, my, my devotion to Christ. But, but ultimately, that setback, that struggle, I believe, led to an opportunity for God to set him up to do great things. It says many disciples. They made many disciples. So can I tell you, whenever we're dedicated, listen, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that people are fickle. But I believe that God gives real support. And the reason why I say that is because of what he said. What, what, did, what did he say? Can I just read you something? What did he say? And I'm closing. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Jesus speaking here. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world. You have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, when I look at this, it's just a great reminder to me that the God we serve is a God who is with us in the tribulation. He's with us in the struggle. You know, as a matter of fact, for some of us, we're going to be honest. It's in the struggle that we really see who God is. In the struggle, we really see what he is capable of doing. I'm not saying we got to always be down in the gutter, but I'm just telling you, when you're in a gutter, it gives a great opportunity. Uh, Tony Evans likes to say that God will allow you to hit rock bottom to let you know that he is the rock at the bottom. And when I think about this, I just can't help but to share just a couple things. You know, we've been in our quiet time at the house, and we've been talking about the Old Testament and these Hebrew boys. 
that God allowed them because he was he was allowing them. They were standing firm for him to he allowed them to be thrown into the fire. But what does the text say? Somebody give me a witness in here. What does the text say? He threw in three. But how many did he see? We know this. And I'm just saying to you that it might be the case that he will allow you to go through stonings and he'll allow you to, to for people to poison your, your character and to talk crazy about you. And he will allow you to be all brought up and people build you up, build you up, ultimately for destruction. That's what they want to do. But ultimately, he is God. He is still right there working and moving. And we have to be willing, have to be willing to be dedicated to do it his way. Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when you read the Bible, you don't think of God like that. But all over this book, from cover to cover, I'm seeing him handle business. Whenever giants are threatening his people, I'm seeing he's sending out a young boy to go handle business with that giant. I think it's a great reminder that, listen, the battle is the Lord. David knew that. And can I just tell you what we face right now today, whether it's you personally, whether it's you collectively as a couple, or whether it's a family, whether it's us as a church, whether it's us as a nation, as a people, we have to remember whose battle is it. It is the Lord's. And he has already prescribed how we are to live and follow him. Battle is the Lord's. Will we be dedicated? I love the brothers because they make the decision. Can you imagine this? They go backwards. They do an encore. They all the places they had they had been, lied on, stoned, persecuted, argued with. They went back to every they they went back to every single one of those as they made their way back to Antioch where they were sent from. By way of mileage, let me just give you this, and I'm closing. Conservative estimates that round trip, it was 1,235-mile trip. No car, no airplane. Can you imagine that? Over a year away from Antioch. And God worked and moved, and we see them coming in. And as they're making their way back, the Bible tells us very clearly in verse 22 that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith. And they were telling them the truth that through what? Many what? Tribute. Everybody see that right there? If you underline or please underline that, because I'm going to just tell you, this American gospel nonsense, you know what it is? Nonsense. Through many tribulations. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to know this, but through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That is the way it is. That is how it will always be through many tribulations. That is where the way in which we come in. And what they did to make sure the people were steady and ready. What they did, they appointed leadership. And they prayed and they fasted and they committed. it. And when they got back. They had a great time. A testimony service. How about you? Effective for Christ, willing to recognize the things that are necessary. You see, during this time of reflection, we're going to just make it personal here for a minute. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I don't know what else we need to tell you. We talked about his life, death, burial, resurrection, his triumphal power, his work and his movement and the good news. In fact, this is a spiritual battle. You're either with the Lord or against the Lord. My prayer is that today. You will join him and you'll be with him. But there's some things I want us to pray for. But they're going to come on the screen and we'll look at those together as we get ready to sing and we get ready to worship. So first, let's just talk personally for a second.
Personally, we'd be willing to pray for boldness. That the Lord would give you the desire and courage. Will you pray for that? Secondly, I think about our community and I think about the fact that these brothers, they were preaching the gospel. And they were in the community and the people were impressionable. Their minds were were being embittered or they were being stirred up. And so for our community, listen, we need to pray. Those in our community that they would not be deceived so easily that when folks knock on the door and share a false gospel or the things that are going on, they would not be deceived. Let us be intentionally praying. And lastly, for our world. For our world. We want to pray for people all over the world that they would realize God's general revelation. He's good. He has been giving them fruit and goodness and gladness of heart. But listen, that's not enough. They need to specifically come to know him. We will share the gospel. We pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the history. We get the opportunity to know and see how our brothers and sisters were used by you in the past. And God, I'm so thankful that you give us things that we can see to help us to to faithfully follow and believe the things that we cannot. And so, Lord, I'm praying that there's anyone watching, anyone here, Lord, that they would recognize that, Lord, you have not left yourself without witness. But generation after generation after generation, you have shown yourself. Not only by what you have created as beautiful and as majestic and as powerful as that is, but, Lord, also from within. Giving us a conscience. And, Lord, I, I think about that all the time that. Without even being taught, you know, kids many times, they, they know, they can tell when, when somebody is getting taken advantage of, or Lord, they, they can tell when something is not fair, or they can tell when something has happened, Lord. And I believe you, you, you put that in us. But Lord, you also know that, you also know that we suppress that truth in our righteousness. And, Lord, I'm just asking that, Lord, you would help us. If there's anyone here, Lord, they, they've never given their life, they would surrender to you, Lord. They would not suppress the truth of their need for you. They would follow you. Give their life to you. And, Lord, I, I pray that we collectively as a body, that, Lord, we would be willing to tell the truth. That, God, we would be your ambassadors. You know, Lord, I was just thinking, thinking the other day. You know, we, we're kind of like the mail carriers. We just, we just carry the mail. What, what, what's in it? That's between you and them. We just, we just carry it. But God, help us to be faithful to carry the mail. Carry your message. Tell the truth. Lord, I pray you would give us the humbleness that we need. Let us be humble people. Lord, help let us understand that, Lord, you push back and you reject those who are, are prideful. Lord, help us to recognize our role to serve you, God. And to see other people's lives impacted and transformed. 
Lord, help us to have a steadfastness to our walk with you, Lord. That, Lord, even whenever physical pain comes, help us to stand firm, stand strong. Lord, you already told us, listen, to, to get into the camp, there's going to be much tribulation, much difficulty. Lord, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with our American gospel, Lord, that tells us we need to be happy, healthy, and wealthy, and, and have all these things, Lord. That these two will never be able to go together. But, Lord, I pray you would help us to stay steadfast and to keep our eyes on, fixed on you, Lord, that you would work and move. Lord, lastly, it'd be a shame to preach and to pray and to not even ask, Lord, that you would give us boldness and courage to utter the things that we should and to be a great witness in these times, Lord, to open our mouths and to tell of your goodness and your grace and your love. Lord, you've given us a specific time. And God, I pray you'd help us to be faithful. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand? I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.